Holy Father, we come to you now in prayer with the shadow of the scriptures lingering around us. If we allow ourselves to re-experience again that event, we may see ourselves in all that took place. There are times in our lives, Lord, when to our shame, we are the ones holding stones in our hands. There are times in our lives, Lord, to our shame, when we are like the adulterous woman having been caught in our sin. And there are times, Lord, when no one knows of our sin, but we know that you know, and we feel even worse. We also, Lord, see Jesus standing there, being persecuted for his faith, and for those who are around him, who have not enjoyed his loving acts of forgiveness in his ministry, and they seek to trick him, to draw him into being someone other than who he is. He took the time to ride in the dirt. Even the very dirt from which humanity was formed. Perhaps reminding us all. As people of the clay. As fallen humanity. We have no room in our lives. To gather the rocks of the earth. To cast to others who are also living in feet of clay. We pray, Lord, for a forgiving church. We pray for forgiving hearts. We pray for a depth of understanding about what it means to bear the name of Jesus, calling ourselves Christians. And we pray for understanding that we might be the persons that you've called us to be. Bless us now as we continue to listen to the word together. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. When the topic of forgiveness comes up, it comes to us at different times in our life. It's it's almost as common, if not as common, as the topic of love in Christianity. And forgiveness is kind of a given, something that we all adhere to, something we all believe in, something we all recognize that we need for various times we too find ourselves like the adulterous woman when others have caught us in our sin if you were to think back over your life and think of some of the things that have come as a result of you being alive on the earth you know the pain and the shame that you felt when somebody observed your sin your sin and then called you into account because of it Immediately you begin to identify with that adulterous woman standing there before Jesus or who knows what shape she was in by the time they got her there. You also know what it's like to hold the stone, to be a part of this self-righteous club of whatever neighborhood there is. It is so prone to humanity 
to observe the missteps of others and to want to pick up the stone. To want someone to hold them accountable, to charge them as guilty. How it is much more like God and much more like Jesus to be the one who refuses to pick up the stone, right? To be the one who refuses to cast the stone. To be the one who does not desire to pick up that stone. And isn't that where the rub comes with forgiveness? For those that we love dearly and care so much about, whenever something goes wrong in our lives and our relationship with them, we are more than ready to forgive them because we love them so much. That point we made last week was that that loving and forgiving go together, right? And yet, the farther away from the circle of the intensity of our love, of our relationships are, the more difficult it makes for us to forgive them, right? And also tied in with that are the circumstances with what they have done to us. With the idea that they've done something really wrong that has affected our lives. And sometimes in our first and early thoughts about that encounter in life, the words that come to our mind is they need to pay for that. They need to be held accountable for that. They need to feel like I feel, like they've made me feel. We want to get even. It is a human, after all, response, especially from fallen humanity, that when somebody wrongs us, we want to see them punished. When we think about that, we feel a fairly comfortable, and sometimes that's to our shame, is it not? But when someone hurts us so deeply, and sometimes those people are very near to the inner circle of our love, and so consistently, we find ourselves not wanting to forgive them, don't we? Not desiring to forgive them. The hurt is too deep. And that is where, for me, the real difficulty in forgiveness arises. Jesus knew that when he told those followers who were listening to him teach that they should love their enemies. And they found that very difficult to even hear. And Jesus pointed out to them, well, anybody can love those people who love them, but not everyone can love their enemies. But he said, you shall love your enemies. What a powerful, powerful kind of statement that is to make to people when every bone in our body is crying out with our feelings they don't deserve it they don't deserve it you want me just to keep interacting with them and forgiving them and letting them get away with it that's not helping them we have those feelings don't we so this morning I want us to think for a few moments about how we might practice the kind of love that God and Jesus lived out before us on this earth in order that we might show the world what it means to follow them in our lives. Remembering the definition of forgiveness, the Greek word, atheistis, pardon, cancellation of an obligation, punishment or guilt. Canceling it. It's like it never existed. It's gone. 
on behalf of the one who's doing the forgiving. One, one person counseling the debt of another person is what that word means in its original language. Now, Webster has a definition for, for forgiveness that I think is appropriate for us. He says it's pardon someone for their debt to you or for what they did to you. It's stop holding it against them. Pardoning an offender is to let go of the debt they owe you. Now, they have a much more human definition of forgiveness as being one person, I see it, uh, to stop feeling anger toward or about something. But there we use that word feeling, and, and, and let's be clear about what I'm going to say this, this morning. Feelings and forgiveness are not equal terms. They do not walk side by side together. And most often in people's minds, especially when something is, is really hurtful to us, the power to forgive and the willingness to forgive becomes, comes to us far sooner than the feeling of love returns. And there are many reasons for that. And one of the difficulties that we have in really forgiving people sometimes, I believe, is because we don't really understand the simplicity of the meaning of the word and we attach a lot of other things to it that make it even more difficult for us to give forgiveness to someone else. Such as, according to a, a book written on how to forgive when we don't really feel like it, written by a biblical counselor, June Hunt, she has a list of things that, that forgiveness is not. One, she says that forgiveness is not a natural response. She says it's a supernatural one. She quotes Philippians 4.13, reminding us that even though we can't really forgive some people, the hurt is so deep, but Christ in us can, through us, forgive them. For God is, the strength of God is greater in us than whatever is standing in our way. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, Paul said. And her point is, forgiveness is so difficult for us to do, human to human, that it only, is only when Christ lives in us that we really can forgive. It's a supernatural reality she believes that's about the only point in these things where I have a pause I think she's right in a, in a in the extent in the sense in which she's using the phrase but I do believe that even though it's not a natural response for humans who are in the natural estate or even in the forgiven state to forgive people I do believe that it should be the natural human response for redeemed human beings While it may not be natural to the fallen, for all those who have accepted the forgiveness that we have in Jesus, my contention is that, yes, we need Christ in us to strengthen us to do that, but our lives should have been so transformed, so shifted, if you will, away from the humanity that we reside in on this earth, that it is Christ in us that constantly pulls us toward him to living the way that he lived. So that our expression of humanity as redeemed Christians, I believe it should be natural to desire to forgive, to want to forgive, and to will to forgive. And you say, well, but that's not true. It's not true in my life. Sometimes things not true in our lives don't make them not true. 
the natural response of redeemed humanity should be to have the desire to forgive and the willingness to forgive. And you say, well, preacher, you just haven't been hurt deep enough. Well, yes, I have. Many times. And early on, and in my earlier life, in my early years, quite frankly, I found revenge and thoughts of revenge, even when I wasn't going to act upon it, much more rewarding than immediate words of being willing to forgive. As a young man, I didn't worry about prisoners. After all, they've broken the law. They're getting what they deserve. It was only when I got to be older that I could hear the clear message of Christ that he had been whispering in my ear for all those years. You really want what you deserve, big boy? And I said, well, of course I don't, Lord. He said, but you don't mind those people in there getting what they deserve. And I would say, isn't that different? That is different. Okay, it's not different. And he would say, right, get over it. Get over yourself. You're not that special. I love them just as much as I love you. And they do not know what they're doing. You do. But Lord, it feels so good. It feels so comforting to know that the perpetrators were caught. Yeah, but it's just not my way, Doug. And so through the years, I've tried very hard to desire to forgive, including in the midst of one church meeting. Now, I'm happy to say that this church meeting didn't happen here. It happened at a called SPRC meeting. There was a couple who really disliked my shadow. And not only did they dislike my shadow, but they disliked a lot more about me than my shadow. And they wanted to talk to the SPRC. So the SPRC called a meeting and they showed up with all the persecutors, them and one more person. They had the whole fellowship hall that was prepared to receive however many wanted to come. But it was just three. I was still a young pastor at that time. And although I'd been in a lot of student pastors, I'd never had the full pleasure of pastoring full time to a larger group of people. Uh, I pastor mostly in very small family-oriented churches where, where closeness was something that was lived out daily. I got in a little larger town that became a little more difficult. I remember that in the midst of this disagreement about what was true and right, about what the law of the church was, these people had an opinion that I had broken that law, and they felt really sure of it. And they were much surprised whenever they learned that there was written proof that I had not broken any church law, and indeed the information they'd been getting from someone else was not correct. Forgiveness was not their response. And I remember very clearly as this young man and sitting there in mid-30s when the man came up and shook his finger in my face. And I remember what he called me, and the references he made to my family and the things he said. And I didn't say a word. I didn't write in the dirt because I was in the church fellowship hall. I just sat there. Now, what he didn't know was what was going on inside me. I was very aware of what was going on inside me. And I felt a little threatened. 
not for my benefit, but for his. And as the conversation went on, he finally, when he got through, I once again said to him how he had been wrong, and I'm sorry he felt that way, and that was the end of the conversation. It was the next morning when a gentleman pulled by the church to seek me, and he missed me, and and I heard that he had missed me, so I went out in the parking lot, and there was Pete. And Pete was sitting in his car driving off, and I came out and said, what are you up to this morning? He had been one of those at the meeting. He said, I just came by to check on you. Now, Pete was up in years and a very close friend of mine, as was his family. And I said, well, I'm doing fine. Why? What, what, what's the matter? And he said, well, nobody should have to take what you took last night. And I just smiled. I said, oh, he had a tear rolling down his, his face. I said, Pete, don't worry about it. You know, everybody knows that that's, he has a big temper. It, it's fine. It wasn't a big deal. And he said, yes, it was. And he says, the only reason that he said those things to you in the church like that is because he knew you wouldn't do anything about it. And I looked at him and I smiled and I said, Pete, he almost made a huge mistake. And he started laughing. And I said, you go on home and rest. Everything's fine. But there was a war going on inside me because in my younger days, quite frankly, we probably would have finished that discussion behind the building instead of inside the building because he said things that most young males don't deal with well. And I was still learning to grow up. But I was clear that I was not to hold it against him. And years later, when I was back in that church for a funeral, the man was still so filled with hate and anger, even though he was at a funeral service, that whenever I left with the family out the front door, he never came out the front door because he knew I was out there greeting people. And then when I got through greeting people, I had to hurry up around the corner to catch the caravan to the cemetery. And guess who walked out the side door trying to get out? God has such a sense of humor. And there he was, and he came out the door, and he looked at me, and he was just so shocked that he was caught red-handed. He had to say something about something. And he pulled up all that anger and resentment that he'd been holding on to for ever since that event had happened. And he said, what are you doing here? And I just smiled at him, and I just kept walking toward the parking lot, and I called his name. I said... If you don't let go of that anger, it's going to eat you alive. And I said, by the way, I was here preaching a funeral. You were in the audience. And he just stared at me, and I just walked by him and out to my car. Such a sad time to know that after all that time, this gentleman had not been able to come to any kind of position with his anger and unforgiveness for me, whether he thought I was right or wrong, and he obviously still thought I was wrong. But what I knew was that, and I told him, your soul is in danger. Because you see, people who call themselves Christians do not, are not allowed to harbor indefinitely unforgiveness. It destroys us. It destroys our faith. And it even triggers the mechanism that Jesus talked about, that we are forgiven according to how we forgive others. It's in the Bible. So the next time you think you're going to take up a position of unforgiveness, remember the scriptures. It's not something we want to do. Letting go of that 
dropping the stones is the only way to live as a Christian. But remember, when we drop the stones, we need Christ's help. And we need to exercise our own will and not holding anything evil against that person, not expecting any payment for the debt. But now remember that forgiveness is not the same as reconciliation. Reconciliation is both people coming together and both forgiving each other. You forgive person from your perspective. I can't make you have forgiveness for me any more than I could for that gentleman. But he cannot prevent me from forgiving him. Forgiveness is totally within the realm of the person who's acting upon it. And we are never in control of someone else's willingness to forgive. Even Jesus doesn't interfere in that area. It is left open to people to exercise their own forgiveness. It is also not about a feeling. Forgiveness is not about a feeling. It is a decision. It's an act of the will that I will not hold that against you. Even though inside me, a part of me is going, but that person doesn't deserve to be forgiven. Then you have to speak against that voice inside you and say, get out of me. Get out of me. I have acted and I've forgiven that person. I will not hold that grudge. Forgiveness is not many things. It is also not about expressing or feeling excusing a wrong. Sometimes people say, well, I can't forgive that because it, they did wrong. Really? It, it's, it's, let, it's about knowing the wrong but being willing to let it go. Jesus didn't say this woman was not guilty of adultery. He would have said, let it go. He said, I don't condemn her. And one by one, they dropped their stones too. It didn't mean that she hadn't done wrong. It didn't wipe that away. It meant that it was forgiven. It was pardoned. It was set aside. It's not about letting the guilty off the hook. It's about putting them on the hook of God. And that's where I turned that gentleman over to. I said, God, bring somebody into his life that can deal with him. I can't. Bring somebody that can help him get back into the right relationship with you. Because once you forgive someone, it puts their problem of unforgiveness and their situation in the hands of God, where it belongs. God will deal with them. God is capable and only God capable of that kind of action on the behalf of humanity. And it's also not about being a doormat. I don't know how many times I've heard that old saying, well, I'd forgive them, but I... You know, I've already forgiven them twice, and if I forgive them a third time, I'm just being a doormat. No, you're not. Anybody think Jesus was a doormat, a passive kind of person who didn't have any control of his situation, a person who just laid down and wilted it in the face of accusers? That's not the life Jesus lived, is it? He wasn't a doormat. In fact, he looked at them all and said, Father, forgive them, for they don't understand what they're doing as he was dying upon the cross, as he was being crucified in the flesh. He wasn't. He was a strong person. And I found in my life over the years that it's really only the strong people who, faithful, strong people who can forgive. It's not the doormats of the world. In fact, it's the doormats of the world who refuse to forgive. And so I want us to be clear in our head that when we say we're forgiving people that we're not letting the wrong go we're not pretending it didn't happen we know it happened it's not about forget uh, it's not about fairness either sometimes we say well if they'll just 
come and ask me for forgiveness, I'll be glad to give it. Well, aren't you a big person? <laughs> you know, I'm waiting for them to say they're sorry. Well, that's good. Just keep on waiting, you know. And just keep on harboring that unforgiveness in your heart, and it'll eat you up, just like it's eating them up. Forgiveness is not about fairness. Forgiveness is about the way of God. It's about the life Jesus lived and the life he calls us to live. We don't re respond to people who hurt us the same way that the unredeemed humanity does. And if we do, then we are no better than they are. We must, in the face of hurt and pain and acts against ourselves, practice the will of forgiveness and claim it in Christ's name because it's the way of God. And that's the way we are followers. Now, this woman, this story, when you find yourself sitting in that story, you probably like most humans, your mind is just going around. You know, I, I'm always one, I'm, I'm looking at the woman and I'm imagining how she must feel knowing she's facing her death. I'm looking at the angry faces of the people who were accusing her and also the look in their eyes with the extra greed of kicking in. They were going to catch someone else making a wrong judgment. They were going to get Jesus too while they got this woman. Because after all, she wasn't part of their garden club, right? She wasn't living the kind of life that puts him in the in crowd. It's easy not to forgive that kind of person. I find myself looking at Jesus. I wonder what his face looked like when he looked up at that angry mob. I don't think he was smiling. I think his eyes were glowing with compassion. It wouldn't have surprised me if there were teardrops rolling off his face as he wrote in the dirt. And yes, I, looking at the dirt, I, I want to know what he wrote there. And so does the rest of humanity that's read in the Bible at all. But we'll never know for sure what he wrote there. But we know what he said when he looked up. You really want to throw a rock? You're not guilty. You've not sinned. Go ahead. And one by one, they dropped their anger. They allowed pardon to be offered to this woman. And Jesus said to her, does no one condemn you? No one, Lord, and neither do I. Arise and sin no more. What a powerful message for the world today. Really forgiving is about acting like God and acting like Jesus. Because unforgiveness blocks the door to God in our daily lives. Unforgiveness fosters bitterness that eats us alive. Unforgiveness opens the door to Satan and the influence of evil in our hearts and in our minds. Unforgiveness reflects a godless heart, a godless attitude toward others. Unforgiveness makes us captive to the sin and the injustices in our lives. And it grieves the Holy Spirit of God. We don't want any of those experiences in our Christian life. We remember that from God, the fruit of love is forgiveness. For God so loved that he gave his son, who is a very means of our forgiveness. We remember how 
God desired to forgive us, and that's why he sent Jesus, even at that terrible price. We remember how Jesus desired to forgive the woman who came before him there. He saw her coming. I, 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 I can't imagine how much compassion he felt for her as she was walking toward him. He wanted to forgive her. He already had forgiven her. He just needed to proclaim it. He needed to give her the opportunity to experience it for herself. She had no expectation of forgiveness. She expected to be condemned. And yet as she came toward Jesus, Jesus, like God, because he wanted to forgive her, did so. And then the funny thing about forgiveness and its relationship to love happened. Later in the Bible we find out that this woman was following Jesus passionately, giving, pouring out her life for him. One of those band of women who was following his teaching. Because you see, the fruit of love is forgiveness, but the fruit of being forgiven results in love. And she learned to love this man who forgave her, and therefore loved to learn to love others as well. That forgiving and love thing is a is a flowing back and forth. They're always together, and one empties into the other, and that's a continual stream in our lives. And so, out of love's heart, forgiveness flows. And out of the experience of being forgiven, the power to love and to continue to love grows. Don't interrupt that stream of the grace of God in your life. Don't yield to the human temptation to pick up a stone. After all, it's not judging people that's going to save the world. It's forgiving. 